Well, thank you so much for the, I mean, I am so happy that we have Transit joining us yet again this week and as we wrap up this series next week. So really hopeful that you guys had some good conversations with mom and dad and mom and dad, I hope you had some good conversations with your kids. And I love the fact that we do this every year. And for those who are new or those who are watching, they're like, hey, I don't know what Be Rich is. Well, Be Rich is our annual series. And this is our catalyst through what we do throughout the year on how we serve our community, how we serve and come alongside nonprofit partners. And so that we take two to three weeks and we explain what organizations we'll be helping and serving this year, as well as some opportunities you and I can love the Berg, uh, opportunities for you to say yes to. And so that we call this Be Rich. The title is a little misleading. In fact, it has really little to do with money. In fact, it has more to say about opportunity. It's more about opportunity. The actual title comes from the New Testament, Be Rich. So Paul, who started a church, and then gave it over to Timothy, who's a young pastor at a young, growing church, like us. Think about that. So he says to Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. You might be thinking, well, I don't feel rich. You may not feel rich, but you are rich when it comes to the world. When it comes to the world. Uh, a net worth, if your household, maybe the household that you live in, if you have a net worth, the household has a net worth of $93,000, that's your assets minus your debts, you're richer than 90% of the world's population. That's a lot. For those who have, maybe you have $4,000 to your name. Maybe in a vehicle, maybe wrapped up in a vehicle or savings, you are wealthier than 50% of people in, around, the, around the world. It's incredible. So he's like, look, those who are rich in this world, not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. He's saying, trust the maker, not the means. Trust the maker, not the means, because the maker, God, gives us the opportunity. He gives us the breath, the energy to work, to earn a living. Their trust, he says, should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. God has intended for you, for me, to enjoy this life. And the way that we enjoy this life isn't by getting a new pair of sneakers, isn't by getting a new vehicle, a new house, or a new this, or a new that. No, it's when we enjoy God, we enjoy this life. When we enjoy God, we enjoy this life because we're able to enjoy this life the way that he has intended for us to enjoy it. A way that we do that. Paul tells Timothy, tell them to use their money to do good, that they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Guys, our first week last week in Be Rich, we learned about two nonprofit partners that we're going to be giving money to over the next couple of weeks and maybe throughout the year. We're looking forward to that. So we have Beauty for Ashes and we also have Transitions for You. And then today, there's some serving opportunities for all of us. So before we jump into what those are, I want to describe a tagline. Maybe you've heard our church has this 
tagline. It's loving the Berg. And it has become actually more than a tagline, but it's become a way of life for those who call Southridge home. The things we're going to be talking about this week and next week, it's an all-skate. And maybe you're a little bit young to know what an all-skate is, but I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And an all-skate was everybody got out to the skating rink, regardless if you could skate, regardless of how good you were or how bad you were, but everyone got out and just had a good time. That was an all-skate. And we all had like the disco lights coming down and listen to our favorite music. It was when everybody got out there, regardless of skill level. And the things that we're going to be asking, we believe, over the next two weeks, we believe if we get these things right, that our community might be willing to change the way they view church, our church. And then they might be open to receive God's invitation to change their life through Jesus. Your why determines your way, and then our why determines our way. Your why determines your way. I've said many times before that your why matters. And if you lose your why, you lose your way. Like the right why leads to the right way, and the wrong why, I'm being careful how I say this, leads to the wrong way. So the question then becomes, okay, who, de- who determines our why? Who defines our why? Well, as we answer that question, we'll see that there's a lot of tension with that in 2021 in America, in American culture. Let's, let's go back 245 years. In 1776, that's when, yeah, the Constitution, when America was founded on the idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those three things, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, they were inspired by the Bible. So ideology was rooted in theology. Ideology was rooted in theology. Individual liberty was viewed as a God-given right. Now, fast forward 245 years, it's not the same anymore. Ideology is no no longer rooted in theology. Individual liberty is now viewed as I am free to do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, and with whomever I want to do it with. So ideology is man-centered and autonomy is desired. So I desire to be independent. I desire to be my own authority. I desire to do whatever I want, whenever I want, and with whomever I want. On the other side is you have theology, and theology is God-centered And authority is received. Authority is received. So I'm okay with God being the authority and I submit to him. That's what that means. Ideology, theology. And so what I want to do is use that framework over the next two weeks to discuss two things that it won't cost you anything. It won't cost you any money. It won't cost me any money. But it will require us to participate in how we best serve our community outside of giving and serving is by you, is by me, living a Christ-centered life and having a Christ-centered home. The the first way that we can have a Christ-centered life and a Christ-centered home is to have a right view of love and a right view of marriage. Remember, the right way The right why leads to the right way. I knew I was going to get myself. The right why leads to the right way. The wrong why leads to the wrong way. 
So we're going to look through love, look through love, look through love through the culture of um, like ideology, cultural ideology. So we have a tendency to determine what and how before why. Okay, so when you think of love, what, do you, what, what are the things you want? Romance, connection, and intimacy. Those three things are good. They are. You know, we, you, know you and me, we, we all have these three chemicals in our body that just go off right when we meet someone. It's dopamine, man. We're happy. When we see their name come across our phone, we get happy. We have serotonin that triggers off. That, that's when we feel good, uh, when we hold their hand. And then we have, uh, man, I'm going to get this. I'm going to do my best to pronounce this right. Norepinephrine. I think I got that right. It's in your increased heart rate. You get all giddy. Oh, I can't wait to see them. You get all giggly. Okay, so we rely on these three chemicals to determine our happiness. Under ideology, we do. We determine our happiness based on those three chemicals going off. And that's why you have people sometimes that say, well, I'm not in love anymore. I'm not feeling in love anymore. Guys, truth is, like I've been married for 17 years. I've been together for 20 years. And then you have, um, especially those in transit, man, your leaders, they've been married for a while too. Look, they'll, they'll admit there's days you do not feel like you're in love. You do not feel like you're in love with the person you married. Because we are all self-centered. We all struggle with being self-centered. But love is not a feeling. Love is an action. Okay, so the what in cultural ideology is romance, connection, intimacy. And how do we do that? We do it through attraction. We dress a certain way, we talk a certain way, we act a certain way to get someone's attention because look, that's what we do. We, we crave oh, being attracted to someone and we love it when someone is attracted to us. So the why behind love is happiness. We have the desire for the perfect relationship. We have the desire for the perfect wedding and, and we plan for this and I want to show you this quick video of someone who thought they were going to have the perfect wedding. They were trying to be creative and they thought they could kind of outdo the other person and notice what happened. I can tell you, happiness is the wrong why for marriage. Happiness is the wrong why for marriage. Look, instead of happily ever after, it's become happily even after. Perhaps the commitment should change from to death do us part to till a change of heart do us apart. Guys, how many of us have, have been in a room with someone and we've heard maybe our parents say this, I deserve to be happy. It stings, man. It, it, it doesn't feel right. Something's off with that. And that's because happiness is the wrong why for love. It's the wrong why for marriage. Guys, we're not the first ones to struggle with ideology and theology. Believe it or not, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they struggle with it. I mean, these are people who grew up learning the Bible, learning the Old Testament, teaching the Old Testament. And what they decided to do is put their own spin on it because they may not have agreed with God or it was unclear, so they began to put their own spin to it. It's like they took one verse and they, they created a teaching out of just one verse. 
Notice what happens. This is in Matthew 19. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question, speaking of Jesus. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? So there was a controversy back then between two rabbis and all of their followers. So one rabbi, Hillel, he believed a man could divorce his wife for any reason. And then Shammai, he believed a man could divorce his wife only if she committed adultery. And they attempted to get Jesus in the middle of this. Jesus, help us figure this out. You know, we're living in a culture just like that. We're, we're living in a culture where we're looking for excuses. We look for loopholes. He says, Jesus, haven't you read the scriptures? See, the Pharisees, they were stuck on the commentary and providing commentary for Deuteronomy 24.1, which I'll talk about in a minute. See, they had the wrong why, and they were leading people the wrong way. Well, here's what Jesus is implying. Guys, there's more to the scriptures than just one sentence. And instead of looking for a loophole, let's look for the original purpose and intent. So then he says, they record from the beginning, God made them male and female. Jesus is reciting Genesis 1.27 and 2.24. So Jesus is getting back to the why. He's getting back to the original intent for marriage. Notice what he says. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Okay, so I don't want you to miss this. Marriage is supposed to be a stronger bond than the family bond. Think about it. It is impossible to be joined together when you're still attached to mom and dad. Like it's impossible to grow stronger as a couple when mom and dad are doing the heavy lifting. And so the word joined, literally, it means to be glued to. Okay, so we have a woman and we have a, a dude, a, a man and a woman. All right, so the wife, wife-to-be, they, they end up getting married. And so she goes all in on this relationship. I do my best without getting this all messy. So she goes all in on that relationship. So she's all in. She leaves mom and dad. And she is glued to her husband who he leaves his mom and dad. And they form a bond. Hopefully I get enough of that guy in there. There you go. Now, when you are glued together with someone, it's impossible to separate that glue. God's saying, look, when a, when a man and a woman come together as one, it's impossible to separate. It was not intended to separate. So the word one, it, it means unity or oneness. And the word actually refers to to how God describes himself as one. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They are distinct, but they're one. A woman and a man, they're distinct. But when they come together, they are one. They are not meant to be separated. Okay? Then they ask, well, then didn't Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. 
He's like, God was graciously accommodating, but y'all took advantage of it. People took advantage of it. Look, I, I really hope this does not offend you. I don't, I don't mean to offend you, but I know that I struggle with this. Self-centered people look for excuses when there aren't any. Self-centered people look for loopholes when there aren't any. Okay, so decades later, Paul is writing some commentary about marriage. And so he's writing uh, the why behind marriage. And notice what he writes in Ephesians 5. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration or a picture of the way Christ and the church are one. Even for some of us, man, we were trying to date someone, we were trying to get someone's attention because we want that person to complete us. We got married because we expected that person to complete us. Or we are trying to stay married because we believe that person will complete us. I, I don't want you to miss this. No person can complete you. Jesus is the only one who can complete you. The only one. Here's what happens. When we have these expectations of, okay, this man or this woman, they're going to complete me. They're going to meet my expectations. Here's the deal. No one can live up to those expectations except for Christ. It's the only way. It's the only way. Here's the good thing about Jesus. He's not looking for a loophole with you. He's not looking for an excuse for you. You might mess up. You Actually, you are going to mess up. But he's not looking for a way out because he showed you how committed he was to you by dying on the cross for you. So as we look, let's look at love and, and maybe marriage through the lens of theology, okay? And, and, and we're going to answer the why before the what and the how, unlike ideology. Okay, so the why behind marriage or love is supposed to be a picture of the gospel. All right, it's a picture of the gospel when we think of our relationship with God through Christ, there's forgiveness, there's love, there's mercy, uh, compassion, um, presence, healing, accessibility. We have 24-7 access to God. When you're in a marriage relationship, I don't want you to miss this, we live this on a daily basis. When you wake up, when you're through the day, and throughout the day, and when you go to bed at night, you are reflecting the picture that God has with us through Christ. So there should be forgiveness. There should be grace. There should be mercy, compassion, love, um, accessibility, healing, and presence. The what behind the why is oneness and unity. Like with ideology, remember, it's romance, connection, intimacy. But with theology, it's unity. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Many of us are looking for intimacy, and intimacy is a very good thing to be searching for and to be looking for. But intimacy is achieved by attachment, not attraction. I'll say that again. Intimacy is achieved by attachment, not attraction. When there's attachment, there's access. When I'm attached to someone, when I'm one with someone, I have access to them. All right, there's attachment there and there's access there. 
when we're glued together with someone, man, there's access to that person. Um, in Genesis 2.25, I love this statement. Adam and Eve were naked and felt no shame. Now, not the fact that they were naked. Here's the deal. The word really means that emotionally and physically, they were open to each other. There were no secrets. They had full access to each other and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. If you're hiding yourself in a relationship, that means that there's no access, which means there's no intimacy. Like when we're dating, we open ourselves up to access, right? We want to be known and we want to know that person. But when we get married, we get lazy. We get lazy at remaining accessible. And that is why we can't get away with, well, I'm not feeling love anymore because intimacy is not about attraction. It's about attachment. So the how to achieve this unity and oneness and reflect the gospel is through sacrifice and submission. So for those who are married, Paul earlier in Ephesians 5, he talks about how a husband is supposed to represent Christ in the marriage by sacrificing for his wife and then the wife represents the church by submitting herself to the servant leadership of the husband. Look, Christ sacrificed for us. And so we in turn submit to his leadership. Men, listen, I want you to hear this. Maybe guys who aren't married yet. Listen, your wife-to-be, your wife now, your wife in the future, listen, let's make it easy for them to submit to our servant leadership. Listen, if we are sacrificing for them, that should be easy for them. It should be. Guys, imagine if we as a church get love right, if we get marriage right. Man, imagine the impact that we can have on our community in order to love and serve strangers. Man, we need to get this right in the family, in the home first. Guys, we should have plenty of practice with those we love. Look, if we can't get this right in our lives, if we can't get this right in our home, then we're not going to get it right in the community. We're not going to get it right with strangers. Guys, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to open up your word and learn. First, learn how much you love us and how much you're committed to us. That you're not looking for a loophole. And you want us to say yes to you. You want us to say yes to living under your authority. And so, Father, for those who are so concerned about wanting to be complete and feeling that they need to be completed by someone, we ask that they find that in you. That they just admit that you're the only one that's going to meet their every need. So I hope that happens. And so, Father, again, thank you for allowing us this opportunity to serve our community by getting this right. Help us to do well with it. God, thank you so much for clarifying our why and our way. In Jesus' name, amen.